If you're here for the very first time, we think you are in the exact right place. Uh, I'm Pastor Troy, uh, lead pastor here. It's my honor to serve uh, you and be a part of what God is doing here in this place. We believe that there isn't an ax is not an accident in a room. In other words, it's no coinkadink that you're here today. We believe that it's a divine appointment that God would set this up for you, that you might have a relationship with him, that you might come to know him and find freedom and actually even come to a place where you make a difference with God and for God. And so we're just believing all that today. So we're in a series where we do series here. We do three, four, five weeks worth of messages around the same topic. And so today we're in week three of our series called Death to Selfie. And, and so something, you hear that, wow, that's kind of hard, isn't it? But it's actually a very good thing, and so we're going to talk about that more. Here's the simple truth, is we all need to die to ourselves. We, we all need to die to ourselves. Some of the very things that are the problem things in our life are re, the result of me not coming to the end of myself, and that's a big part of this series. So if you haven't been around Christianity, or maybe you've never looked at any of the teachings of Jesus, one of the things that you realize right away that at the core of Jesus' invitation to everyone, all of us in this room, is the idea of dying to yourself. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It's, it's a life-giving thing, and Jesus invites us. Now, it is almost immediately, I think, in our minds, though, we say that's a hard thing to die to yourself. And it is, and I think here's one reason why it's hard, is because it is counterculture. Our culture is telling you, love yourself, you know, feed yourself, admire yourself, you know, work on every part of yourself. I mean, it's, it's all self-focused in a large way. Right now, actually, I've been doing some studies, and it's the narcissistic tendency hasn't ever been as high as it is right now in our country. They're, they're actually doing studies and realizing that we have an epidemic of narcissism in our society, which is being self-absorbed, self-focused, and all those kind of things. And so this idea of dying to self is counterculture, but so important to a relationship with Jesus. It's actually intertwined with the relationship with Jesus. So we do a key text here every time we do a series. And so I want to just kind of unpack that a little bit as we read through it. It's Jesus speaking, Luke chapter 9. And it says this simply, it says, if, starts out with the word if, which if has this pretense to it that it's a, a question, it's a choice, if you want to. And then it goes, if any of you, so it has the object or the, the who, any of you, wants to be my followers. So there's this question, if, if any of you, want to or desire to be my follower or to be in relationship with me, Jesus speaking, he says, you must turn from your selfish ways. In other words, what he's saying is you have to have a death to self. You have to have a death to selfie. And he goes on and he describes it a little bit. He says, take up your cross daily. It's not something you did 10 years ago or you did last week. It's something you do every day. You die to self every day. You pick up your cross every day. And then he goes on, he says, and follow me. It has a direction. It has a pathway. It has a plan. It has some substance to it. It's not just aimlessly, I'm going to do this. And then it goes on and it says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. 
How many of you ever had that happen where you try to hang on to something and the more you try to hang on to it, the more it fell apart, right? I mean, that's kind of what he's talking about. It's like the more you try to gain your life, the more actually it's not going to work. But the more you come to a place where you're willing to give it freely, it actually might happen. I was thinking about it this way. How many of you ever uh, tried to do a diet and it didn't work right? A couple of us? All right. On, okay. Here's what I've realized. Whenever I try to do diets, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm going to lose a few pounds, you know. I'm always, you know, 20 pounds. I want to lose 20 pounds, 20 pounds, 20 pounds. And I realized the moment I decide that I'm going to lose 20 pounds, it's like food is everywhere. It's like donuts, and I mean, it's like, what happened? I never noticed these before, but now that I'm dieting, it's like, it's like, another donut, you know? It's like, what's going on here? Because it's like, the more I try to hang on to this idea, instead of just giving up on it, it comes more alive in me. It's just this opposite. It's a paradox, really. So, but if, it says, back to our text, but if you give up your life, for my sake, you will save it. I, that phrase give up has really jumped out at me this week. I was, I was here for Saturday morning prayer, and if you've never been a part of Saturday morning prayer, I encourage you to come and be a part of that. Um, it's the time that we take an hour and we actually pray for the service. We pray for what's going to happen today in the hearts of people. We're believing God to do something special in you. And so I was in prayer and I was praying through some verses and I was in Proverbs chapter 21, not even thinking about really the text of scripture that we're reading. And it said this in Proverbs 21, I believe verse 21, it says, "The, the godly give in to the wicked, and because of that, they are in a mire and a muck and a river of mud. That's the paraphrase. And I thought to myself, today, there's a lot of us that might be here because we haven't given up to God, but we've given in to a lot of other things, and our life is pretty muddy. Our life is pretty much a mess because we haven't really given it up to God. We've given in to all the things around us. And because of that, we're in a really bad spot. And so I hope today that God in your heart calls you to give up, not just give in to whatever's happening. And so that's a lot about what we're talking about today. So what is or what does death to selfie mean? And, and just, again, breaking down our verse a little bit more, that it means that I've made a decision to go in the same direction as Jesus. That's what it means. It, it means that my life is not about me. It's all about him. That's what it means. It means I, I'm making Jesus the highlight, not me. It means I'm giving up control. All those things are true. Then, you know, here's, here's how Paul said it. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. My old self has died. That old person I used to be, there was a death to selfie, no longer alive anymore. He says, the old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it's interesting because this weekend I, I, I got invited at the last second to go with a group of pastors to the Nebraska game. Lots of fun. I mean, we enjoyed it. I, I had a snack every, every quarter. You know, you had to, you know, you know, just stay with it. You know, malt, you know, hot dog, runza. You know, I just did the whole thing. But anyway, that has nothing to do with the message. I was just sharing that with you. Uh, but I, as we get there, some of the guys that I went with, they said, hey, we're going to meet a couple guys before that we haven't seen for a long time. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, and he described, he said, he said yeah, and this guy, Dick, uh, Herman and Jeff, and his last name was Tyson, and he said, we're going to meet these guys and another guy. And I was like, wait a minute, Dick Herman? Wait a minute. 
I went to high school with that guy. I know that guy from back in the day, you know? So I'm like, man, I haven't seen this guy for like 25 years. Well, I kind of halfway knew that he was in the ministry and he was, he's a pastor down in, in the Texas area. And so I'm, I'm waiting for him. He walks up and he comes up to me and, and he shakes my hand. He goes, Troy? I go, yeah. He goes, you're a pastor? I go, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? He goes, yeah. I said, it's God's grace. I mean, and he goes, yeah, because my picture of you was me being a year or two behind you and, and you sitting in the back of the bus listening to ACDC and, and growling at everybody. You just were mad all the time and beat up people on a whim and stuff like that. He said, I just did everything I could to stay as far away from you as I could. And I said, well, give me a hug, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, it was the old life that I had. That old person was dead, and the new person is alive. It doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it means I used to be this, but now I'm this. And it's all because of a relationship with Jesus. It's because Christ lives in me. And he goes on in our verse there. He says, so, because of Christ in me, I live in this earthly body by trusting, by giving up control by relying upon, by, by trusting in the Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, l- let me just kind of highlight a couple of thoughts here real quickly about these verses. This one is this. The whole idea behind death to selfie has to do with being identified with Christ. It's, it's not death to selfie as some kind of martyrdom and, and asceticism where you're going to push down your desires and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. It really has to do with identity with the person and the work of Jesus on the cross. It's all about identity, first. Secondly, it's all about being motivated by love. There shouldn't be anything in you today that says death to selfie because I have to, but death to selfie because I want to. There should be something in you today that says because Jesus died for me and loved me and gave himself up for me, when he was on the cross, he was thinking about me. Because of that, I want to die for him as well. And there's something about being identified with Christ and also motivated by Christ that doesn't make this a heavy thing. It makes it an opportunity thing. And so hopefully you see that today, that I'm not talking about die to yourself, die to yourself. I'm talking about Christ is inviting you to identify and be motivated by love to the point where you would realize that death to selfie is a great option and opportunity. And so that's what we're talking about. Now, here's another thought. It's it's actually you and I coming to the place where we would say no to our self-centered ways so that we might be able to say yes to a Christ-centered way. In other words, I'm not just saying no to self. I'm saying yes to God. I'm, I'm coming to the place where I'm going to... Almost had a breakdown there. Come to that place where I'm going to commit fully who I am to Jesus. And the only way I can do that is that there's a death to self so that I can be available for Christ. That's a very true part of what we're talking about. And here's the last one, as far as what does this mean. It means the beauty of dying to self is that I finally find life. That's the beauty of this. The beauty of this is I'm identified with Christ, I'm motivated by his love, but at the same time, I get the reward of it. 
And the reward of it is the freedom and the peace that I believe many of you here today are so desperately searching for, but somehow I keep trying to do it with selfish ways instead of selfless ways. I keep trying to fulfill that need for freedom and that need I want to be in a place where I know that it's right and I can't seem to get there because this death to selfie thing hasn't happened. So really what Christ is inviting us to, to, to for your sake, you give up your life for, for his sake, you will save it. He's really saying you're going to find life. And so I'm hoping that happens today and even next week as we wrap up the series. So last week, we explored the need for a death of rebellion. And today we're going to spend some time exploring the first cousin of rebellion, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, which is kind of a, a, a daunting task. And so I'm going to try to figure out if we can wrestle around and understand this to a way that I think is going to help us by the end of the service. So, so let's talk about what we're called to, all right? We're called to righteousness. Every one of us in this room is called by God to a place of righteousness, to be right. And it has two parts to it. There's two parts to this righteousness that God calls us to, okay? The first part of it is that you and I would be made right in relationship to God. We're made right. Not, not the, the burger sandwich thing, but a different, you know, made right. Some of you don't know what that means, right? There used to be a sandwich place called Made Right, okay? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, a couple of you do. It's like, okay, don't like it, don't ever mention it again. We'll move it on. Anyway, <clears throat> some of you love it, like mention it again, right? But anyway, lost my train of thought. Made Right, squirrel, bird, we're right back where we were, okay? Okay, oh, so, so we're righteousness that we're called to is that we're made right in relationship. And that's actually biblically called justified. You're justified. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, he has justified you in relationship to him, and now therefore you are righteous. That's what God's calling you to. Now the second part of this, though, is that you would live right. So made right in relationship, live right in relationship to God and to others. And actually what this is called biblically and understanding wise is holiness. So God is actually calling us to both those things. He's calling us to be right in relationship with him, made right, and also at the same time to be made right in how we live in holiness, to be holy as he is holy. God is calling us to those things. Here's a couple verses of scripture. Matthew chapter six, verse 33. It says, but seek first Notice what it says, his kingdom, not my kingdom, not your kingdom, not their kingdom, his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So here's, here's the basic understanding there, that this righteousness is not something of our own, it's actually his, and he's going to give it to us, and as we receive it or we seek after it, all the things that we desire in life are fulfilled in this idea of righteousness with God. God's calling us to that. Here's another verse. Romans chapter 10, verse 3, it's describing the two kinds of righteousness. For they, talking about the Israelites, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about, uh, and going about to establish their own righteousness, which would be self-righteousness, have not submitted themselves 
unto the righteousness of God. So what that means is simply this, that there is a righteousness that God is trying to give us that is made right in relationship with him and we're living right. And then there's also righteousness that is called self-righteousness or our own righteousness that has no life in it at all. That means it's not submitted and not surrendered. And so here's just a couple thoughts about righteousness. Number one, and these are in your handout, we can't earn it on our own. We can't earn righteousness on our own. God alone makes us righteous. Righteousness is not based on our own goodness. It's based on God's forgiveness. The just, it says, shall live by faith. In other words, the righteous shall live by faith. I can't earn it. I just receive it. That's the first truth. Here's the second one, is we can't force it on others. How many of you have experienced what it feels like to have somebody try to force their righteousness on you? Right? There's a name for that, by the way. It's called legalism. It's legalism. I can't force my righteousness or God's righteousness upon any of you. And I want to just say this right now because I have a feeling that there might be some of you here today that have had this experience where self-righteous people have offended and hurt you to the point where you're not really sure if you even want to be a part of what God's doing. Go something like this. They're all hypocrites. And because they're all hypocrites, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And say, I want to apologize, not because I've been the hypocrite, and maybe sometimes I have been, but I want to apologize because that's not God. That's actually a version of self-righteousness that has nothing to do with God. And so I apologize if you've been a part of that, and hopefully you can set that aside, that pain and that offense long enough that you might actually hear what God's calling you to. You can't force it. Here's another one, is we can't hide behind it like a badge. You can't have righteousness and think that it's some kind of badge or, or pass, if you will. You know, spiritual pride is actually being spiritually deprived. And the righteousness of God is not a badge to be worn as a pass to true spirituality, but it's a sign that we have received grace and therefore now are indebted to a Savior. In other words, let me say it this way. I'm not that good, but God's that great. I'm not that good, but God is that great. And I understand that I'm not hiding behind anything. I'm hiding behind the greatness of who God is, not the greatness of who I am. No way would I do that. And so I can't use it as a badge. It's all about him. So those are some some basic ideas around righteousness and this difference between God's righteousness and our righteousness and what he's calling us to. So Jesus, let's let's talk about Jesus and righteousness for for a few minutes. Jesus was constantly dealing with people, namely a group of people called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were, were kind of like his, his nemesis, if you will, the nemesis of the devil himself, but the nemesis beyond the devil was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, their key characteristic of a Pharisee was self-righteousness. They were self-righteous. That was always the issue. And so Jesus was constantly having these run-ins with this group of religiously self-righteous people called the Pharisees. And his most aggressive and forceful statements were directed at this group of people more than anybody else. I mean, he called them things like hypocrites, you blind guides, you brood of vipers. I mean, it was pretty strong language. And the reason why he was so strong and adamant about this, because he knew that if anything was going to separate people from the righteousness that God was calling him to, us to, and them to, was this idea of self-righteousness. And so he was very, very aggressive with it, because he knew how dangerous it was to the spiritual life of the people that believed it. 
And so he had this going on. And so they were desperately in need of a death to selfie, these Pharisees. And so Jesus tells many parables about this particular topic. But there's one I want to walk through with you today that's in Luke chapter 18 that I think just maybe might help some of us. Now, here's my assumption. My assumption is there's a little self-righteousness in all of us. Is that fair to say? Some of you are nodding your head. Okay. I think there's a little bit of self-righteousness in all of us. And to deal with that is part of this death to selfie thing. And so hopefully as we walk through this, you can begin to see yourself somewhat in the story and allow God to bring you to that place of God-righteousness instead of self-righteousness. So let's jump into the text. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14 says this, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness, self-righteousness, and scorned everyone else. So he's talking to a specific group of people that were deep into this idea of self-righteousness. They were overconfident. And he goes on in verse 10, he says, two men went to the temple to pray. It kind of sounds like a joke, you know, like two men went into a bar. You know? <laughs> two men went to the temple to pray. One was, and there's this contrast, one was a Pharisee. And the other was a despised tax collector. So the Pharisee, typically self-righteous, and the tax collector, who was typically a pretty wicked, evil, extortionist, cheater, lie, greed, jealous kind of person, typically. All right? So there's some truth there. In verse 11, it says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Kind of, It was like this. He was elevating himself. Oh, Lord. That kind of idea. It says that he said this, I thank you, God, which is a good start to his prayer. And then it went downhill from there. That I am not a sinner like everyone else. (laughs) For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. You can just just see him point his finger. I'm certainly not like that person. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. My is very important there. But it says in verse 13, But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Totally different stance. But instead, he beat his chest. He beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, and this is what Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That last little phrase was connected to a lot of the parables and times that Jesus interacted with these Pharisees. It was almost like he was giving them the answer, giving them the answer, giving them the answer. He was wanting them to come to a place of righteousness in God. And so what do we learn here? What's what's happening here? And I want, so I want to talk about the characteristics of self-righteousness. And the first thought before we get into filling in some of the blanks is, what a scary thought that we could be spiritually active and at the same time spiritually empty. Let me put it in a more practical way. What a scary thought that you could be here today in a church service and be spiritually dead. 
What a scary thought to think about that some of us in this room actually could be in a place where we are doing the routines of spiritual activity, but at the very same time have nothing that is life-giving within us. That's a scary thought. That somehow self-righteousness would deceive us so much that we would think that we're okay when actually we're not. That's a scary thought. And as I read through this text, that's what it makes me think of first and foremost. Here's another thought. Is it that going to the temple or going to church or doing some religious activity is no guarantee that my heart is right before God? That's a scary thought because right there in the text, Jesus is saying, here's this guy, this Pharisee, this guy who stands up and I thank you, Lord. And he just goes off on a way off in a tangent. He's in the temple. He's in church. He's praying a prayer. He's doing all these things, but he's miles away from the righteousness of God. That's a scary thought. Here's another one. Is that he prayed a prayer about himself and for himself and maybe even to himself. The NIV actually says that he prayed about himself. How scary it is that we could actually pray. (laughs) And I'm thinking about, how does this work? I'm praying, where does the prayer go? I mean, does it just go out of my mouth and right back into my ears? And that's the extent of the prayer? Is, is, it has no power. It has, it has no access to the throne room of heaven. There's something missing, but I'm going, to, I'm, I'm praying. I'm saying the prayers. Lord, why aren't you hearing my prayer? Is it possible that the prayers that are going unanswered in some of our lives are because self-righteousness has deceived us from even getting to the throne of heaven? Is it possible? That's a scary thought. Here's another thought is he wasn't there to pray to God. He was there to announce to God how awesome he was. That somehow he was more interested in elevating himself than he was in elevating the God who could really truly change his life. That somehow he was more concerned about what it looked like and acted like and all those kind of things for himself than he was about what it was for God. Somehow there was something missing. So... All of that to get to three thoughts that I think can help us today. Three characteristics that might reveal something about our own self-righteousness that might be in us in some degree or some part in various ways in each one of these. So let's just jump through them. Here's the first one. Is that self-righteous people often have a heart that is full of condemnation without any consideration or compassion or care. They have a heart that is full of judgment and criticism that's not full of compassion. And notice what he said. He said, I'm certainly not like that tax collector, exclamation mark. I'll paraphrase it a little bit. I'm certainly like, I'm not like that loser. I'm certainly not like that lazy, good-for-nothing bum. I'm certainly not like that person that's made all those stupid, idiotic choices again and again and again. There's nothing in me that's even remotely close to that. You hear that? That somehow there's a spirit and a heart of condemnation without compassion. And it's interesting that those who need a death to self-righteousness are often those who scorn and look down at everybody else and somehow see themselves differently. See, self-righteousness will many times reveal itself in how I view other people. So how do you view the people that aren't quite doing it the way you think they should do it? 
How are you dealing with those that don't quite do it the way you think they should do it? What's, what's in your heart? Because sometimes it reveals something about our own self-righteousness because self-righteous people often criticize and judge people who don't do it the way I do it. And all of a sudden, we've got self-righteousness stirring. And we're missing that freedom that God wants us to have. We're missing that thing that he might be calling us to. Here's the the second one. Is that self-righteous people make themselves the exception to the rule. I'm the exception. Exception to the rule. Listen to what he said. He said, I'm not a sinner like everyone else. And I think if I was in the church, and then he goes on, I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. If I was in that service and I heard that prayer coming from that guy, I would start doing some of these. Because I'm thinking lightning bolts are coming and he's going to get zapped at any moment, right? But I mean, that's what he says. I'm the exception to the rule. I, I don't sin, I don't cheat, I'm not like everybody else. Somehow I'm above it all. And he's got this idea of what's going on and who he is. And by the way, here's the rule. The rule is we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're all broken in the same human nature. There's not an exception to the rule in the room or on the planet. There's nobody that says, no, that's not me. (laughs) No, it's you. It's me. It's all of us. We're in the same boat. And so his ego was so big that he was blinded to the reality of who he actually was. He was saying things like, I'm the only one who sees it all correctly. I'm the only one that gets it. I'm the only one that understands it. I mean, somehow he was the exception to the rule. And to be the exception to the rule is to overstate the truth about our own righteousness. And see, usually self-righteousness or self-righteous people will diminish the sin in their own hearts, but they will surely be quick to highlight in others. I'm not that bad, but you, you got some issues, right? You got some stuff, but me, basically my life is potpourri, right? Smells good all the time. I didn't say poopery, I said potpourri. So, so this idea that somehow I, I've got it all going on, usually that's what happens. I'm diminishing in, in myself but highlighting in others. And when we make ourselves to be the exception, here's what really is happening. We are unaware of the depth of our own sin. Whenever we begin to go down that path, we're unaware of the depth of our own sin. And see, the Pharisee was blind to who he really was. And many times what defines us or differentiates us from our own righteousness and God's righteousness is our awareness of what is inside of us. See, that's a hard thing for some of us to come to grips with because we don't want to ever be that person. But really, we we are that person. We are. So, so I can't, I mean, because if I go the other way and say I'm not, then I'm stepping right into self-righteousness. I've got to deal with it some other way. Some other way I've got to deal with this. So here's the third one. Is self-righteous people try to validate themselves with religious activity. I fast twice a week. By the way, the requirement, if you will, was once a month. I fast twice a week. I read my Bible in the morning and at night. I pray over every meal, not just the ones where people are watching. (laughs) 
I mean, I'm there. I I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income, which was totally a wrong statement because it it was all God's. And he he should have been saying, Lord, I give you a tenth to honor you because you've given me everything. But he's seen himself somewhere as part of the story. He validated himself. He said, you know, that somehow I'm going to earn God's favor. I'm going to do God a favor. And we view righteousness as a point system. Here you go. I'll just give everybody, everybody 100 points. You all get 100 points. 100 points. To win, it takes 10 trillion. Got problems. But wait a minute, I've read my Bible all my life as a Christian. I'll give you another 100 points. To win, it takes a trillion, 10 trillion. See, the point system doesn't work. By, by the way, it doesn't work because we think that somehow there's a level that I'm going to gain to, but we also realize that the righteousness of what we have, we think is somehow worth all this, and God is saying, now I love you, now I've, I, I, I approve you because you've done something that God gained the points, and it just doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, here's what Scripture says. Isaiah 64, it says that my ra- righteousness is like filthy rags. And, you, and what you just think in your mind there, the worst possible situation, that's exactly what he's talking about. This very disgusting thing that's not right. I can't earn it. See, Jesus encouraged things like fasting and tithing, but he never encouraged it as a way to get righteousness. It was always because of a relationship. And so to see your spiritual life as a payment for membership and instead of an expression of relationship is to fall into the trap of self-righteousness. And because of that, that's what created the boasting of their own spirituality. They wanted everybody to see their good deeds, see how much I've prayed, see how much I've given, see how much I've done. That's why I think Jesus spoke so much about doing things in secret to avoid self-righteousness, to avoid being in that place. So as I close... How do we put to death our own self-righteousness? The death of self-righteousness. And really, the answer is a close look at the other side of righteousness in the parable, the tax collector. Because the tax collector reflects the death of self-righteousness, and much of what that is has to do with how I view myself before God and how I position myself before God. So let me give you four things real quickly. Here's the first thing I need to do, is I need to see myself as unworthy see myself as unworthy. Notice what it says about the tax collector. He didn't stand up and kind of proclaim himself. It says that he stood at a distance and he didn't even look at, lift up his eyes. And so, I mean, it's kind of like he's over on the backside of the temple in the room and he's got his head down. He knows he's unworthy to even be there. My, my oldest daughter, when she, would be, when she was like three or four, I remember I'd scold her about something and she had such a tender heart that she would always, she just knew she did wrong. And even to the point where it was extreme in how she responded. But there was this idea that I'm guilty and I'm, I'm in shame and I'm not right. And I know and I see it, I recognize it. And that's what was happening. He was conscious of his own guilt and his shame before God. There was no pretense, there was no excuse. Here's the second one. Is that you see yourself as undeserving Not only was he over in a distance, but he was beating his chest. Not to get attention, but because he knew he was desperate. I'm desperate because I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. 
I don't blame anybody. I don't excuse it. I don't justify it. I don't make up reasons why it's happened. I'm the sinner. And he knew that he was undeserving. There was an anguish of grief because of his standing before God. He wasn't defending over stating it. Here's the third one. As you see yourself as wanting, be merciful to me, he said. Be merciful to me, O God. And the tax collector was saying, please don't give me what I deserve, but instead cover me so I might not be left to myself. Make me truly right, O God. And the only one who can make me right, God, is you. Have mercy on me. Here's the fourth one. is to see yourself as bowed down. See, the answer to self-righteousness is to position yourself before the Lord in a bowed-down way. The actual word for humble is to make yourself low. To make yourself low. To, to intentionally decide to bow down. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Make yourself low. Don't try to stand on your own righteousness, but bow down in brokenness. Don't try to prop yourself up, but lay yourself down. Don't try to make yourself look great or better than you are. Give up and lay yourself down. So the answer is, Lord, I'm unworthy, I'm undeserving, I'm wanting. And because of all that, I come. I say, oh, God. I lay myself low. I'm not proud. I'm not arrogant. I'm not, I'm not pumping myself up. Lord, I, wait a minute. I can't get low enough. God, I lay myself down. Wait a minute, Lord. That's not, Lord, I'm laying myself down. I don't want to, Lord, I'm, all that I am is yours. God, all that I ever will be is yours. Lord, I lay my life down before you because you can't get low enough when it comes to the relationship of God's majesty. And you recognize that. You see, some of us, we haven't given up and laid ourselves down. We're still giving in. We're still thinking self-righteousness is going to make it happen. To lay yourself down. To lay yourself down. See, now I, mean, I believe today as I close there are some of you here today that you know self-righteousness has caused a wedge in some way or another with some of the things I've just said and what you need to do is this you need to say Lord I'm unworthy to receive anything from heaven Lord I'm undeserving of your love and your grace I deserve nothing because I am guilty Lord I'm wanting I needing you to cover me I lay myself down would you just bow your head close your eyes before the Lord Maybe today is a divine appointment for you because it's been a struggle, it's been a battle, and it just doesn't seem to be working. But finally, in this moment, you realize, you know what? I might have been in the way. I might have been trying to do it in my own righteousness, and God is calling me to his righteousness. And right now, I'm the one that says I'm unworthy, I'm undeserving, I'm wanting, and I'm choosing to bow down before him. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Lord speaking to you, yeah, 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 hands all over. Lord, I pray that as every hand is raised, that there would be just that simple step of faith that says, Lord, I'm all yours. I give up. I give up. 
Lord, I'm unworthy. I'm undeserving. I'm wanting. Lord, I bow down. Lord, I call and cry out to you. Be merciful to me and forgive me, a sinner. Make me new today. Lord, may my story be the same as the story of the tax collector that I could return home today justified. That I could go back to my home, to my house today justified, not still covered in self-righteousness, but justified in you. Lord, let it be so. In Jesus' name.